Good morning. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, introduced us to this series called Follow Me. These uh, words of invitation from Jesus. And this fall, we're in this series at each of our sites, wanting to look at discipleship. And discipleship at its very core is this invitation to follow Jesus. And he gives that invitation throughout Scripture to the people he encounters, and he gives that invitation to each one of us each and every day. And so at the core of discipleship is to walk in his steps, to do as he did, to live as he lived, to have a heart for the things that Jesus had a heart for, and it's to be a student, an apprentice of Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 21, he said to his disciples, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. But the invitation of discipleship, the invitation to follow, we also know comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of letting go. There's always something that we need to let go, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, this deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me invitation. This past week on, on Thursday, I know a number of you, many of you were in the lounge here, and uh, I was able to listen to, to the story of Jean Barsness, who is a missionary, a uh, person who's given her life to the, the mission of God and has served as a missionary in different places, has been a missionary prof uh, at Briarcrest uh, Bible College for many years, and uh, followed the call of God to Panama, and many years ago lost her husband. He was murdered uh, in that city. And so the call to missions came at a high cost. And she shared her story, her testimony. And the commitment that she wrote down on a piece of paper at one time as a young adult that simply said this, anywhere, anytime, any cost. And so following Jesus comes at a cost. There's always that letting go. And for some, it's, it's a higher cost than others. But God calls us to that cost to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, follow Him. But here's the thing that happens when we take that bold step of faith, when we actually step out and follow Jesus as He calls us to day by day and with our lives in whatever way that He is inviting us to. We step beyond ourselves and suddenly we don't have the capacity to do it on our own anymore. And suddenly we have that need and that requirement of dependency on Jesus because we are beyond our own human abilities. We are on beyond our own abilities to kind of sustain ourselves, to, to do anything. And so it draws you closer to God than ever before as you say yes. And so this is discipleship. Called to be disciples and also to be discipling others uh, on this journey. So as a church, over the last number of years, we've been articulating these four steps of discipleship, and you see them in front of you here, and it's our way of expressing a great deal of what discipleship is, and different steps that are not linear, they're not sequential, it's not like you do one, then the other, they all intertwine, they overlap, and in fact, it's hard to talk about one without referencing at least one of the others, and even today, we'll be talking about a number of them, even though we're focusing more on the first one. So each of them is distinct but all interconnected, all important, all go together in terms of how we follow Jesus. They don't capture everything, but they capture many things that are extremely helpful in our desire and our call for discipleship. Last week, uh, Trevor Goddard was here in this setting, and he had a powerful message on community. And he made this statement that we don't drift into community. 
but that there are things that we do that are intentional, things that we do that actually help build community, and there are also things that we can do that erode community as well. And he talked about the fact that we do discipleship by community, and we do discipleship in community, that it's never done alone, that we do it together with others. And as you read Scripture and you see the one and others of love one another, serve one another, care for one another, encourage one another, you can't do that alone. You can't do that in isolation. You need community. You need other people. And so we always do it together with other people. And so today I want to pick up on this same theme about the importance and the role of community in our discipleship and the intentional ways that we can help create it. There are essentially three things that I want to highlight today about community. First of all, we all long for community. That's the reality piece. Secondly, all community is broken. That's the bad news. And then the good news is the third piece, that God redeems and uses broken community. So these three things kind of form the outline of what I want to walk through today. And I want to start with that first one of that longing that we all have for community. You already know that reality. It's hardwired within us. You, you have that within you, that longing for community. You may not be able to articulate exactly what you're looking for. You may not be able to articulate the expectations that you have in community, but you know it when you experience it. You know what it feels like. You also know it when you don't feel it or you experience something very different or maybe you're in a group of, a large group of people and you still feel so very alone. But we know it because God has hardwired us because it's right there in the very character of God, in the Trinity of God, of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Community is inherent right in who God is, and so it is hardwired also within us. It's also inherent within the church. The Apostle Paul, he talks about the body. He talks about the body of Christ. And that metaphor is used so, throughout so many of his writings, his letters to the churches, as he talks about the intertwinedness of people and the community that we have together and that we're called to serve together as the church, as the body. And we know that the church is not a building, it's the people that meet in a certain place, that gather and scatter. It's this community of faith that happens together. Two weeks ago, in the beginning of this series, I, I started with Matthew chapter 9 and, and shared Matthew's own story, his own testimony. It's, it's powerful and important to hear people's testimonies at different times of, of how we've experienced God and, and the impact that community has had on us as well. And so in Matthew chapter 9, you get a little glimpse into Matthew's own testimony. And here was this worst of sinners, as we talked about, a tax collector, rejected by the people that were a part of that culture, his own people, likely even rejected by his own family. And then Jesus gives him this invitation to follow. And Jesus also comes to his house and has a meal together with him. Together with other people, other disciples. And suddenly Matthew finds himself in community that transforms him. And it changes his life forever. And he gives testimony to that in his own gospel that he wrote. My story and, and my testimony is also a story of being transformed in community. In a community centered on Jesus. And I could tell you many different points of that story and many examples, but the one that always immediately comes to my mind is one that I've shared before back in the summer of 1984 working at a camp, at a summer camp in B.C. called Camp Squia. And I was invited to come and serve in this camp as a canoe instructor, and I went out there not knowing anyone other than my cousin who invited me. And I encountered a community of faith of people who loved Jesus, who loved the Word of God, who 
encouraged one another, who knew how to have fun together, and we had the most remarkable community together. And at first it intimidated me and it kind of freaked me out and I didn't know exactly what to do with it. I was very uncomfortable with it, but very soon this community drew drew me in and it changed me. I began to know the love of God in my life in a way that I'd never known before. I began to know and understand the work of the Spirit in my life that I had never experienced before. And I really believe that these people are the reason that I went from somebody who believes in God to actually being a Christ follower. And it set my life in a very different direction. It changed the course of my life, that community, that one summer. Two years ago, a group of six of us, including two of my daughters and my older brother, as well as uh, Milton Block here from this church, and uh, one other friend, we did the West Coast Trail. And I, the West Coast Trail, some of you know, you've done it. It's a six-day, 75-kilometer hike along the most beautiful and rugged coastline of Vancouver Island. And as the leader of this trip, one of my few requirements was to actually have each night have one person share their life story around the campfire and attempt to create community in our small little group of six. But very soon, by the end of the first day, actually, we had two young German girls who joined us and who joined our small little community and our little band, and they kind of connected onto us, and they started to be part of our little community and joined at the campfire. By the end of the second night, we had this young man from northern Quebec, a northern Quebecois man who spoke broken English, but who was also drawn in by this community, and he too very quickly became part of our group. And every night we just started telling our stories. I thought, well, six people, six nights, perfect. We can tell our stories one per night. And the campfire conversations were the highlight that pretty soon people were looking forward to. And these three young adults who also didn't know each other and we didn't know them, but they were very quickly drawn into this small community that they found was irresistible to them. As different individuals shared, as we shared about our life stories, about our families, our successes, our failures, our struggles, our doubts, our faith in Jesus for those that it was there for. And we told our life stories. Pretty soon, these three young adults, they, they asked and they said, hey, can, can we tell our stories too? We want to tell our stories. And so we doubled up and we allowed them to tell their stories and, and everyone uh, in the group just loved each other, welcomed others, and we shared our stuff. We love people with our issues, our baggage, our conflicting worldviews, our very different perspectives of faith. They had no faith background whatsoever. And then at the end of this trip, we had a bit of a time of debrief, and now it was the nine of us. And these three shared things like, we've never been part of a community like this before. I didn't know there was community like this. We've never met people like this. We've never experienced anything like this before. And it reminded me that there is this compelling beauty and attractiveness where there is the love of Jesus, where there is vulnerability, and there is welcome. Because we all long for that. But then there's the bad news part, the second point, that all community is broken. This harsh reality that as much as we desire community, that all community is broken. And, and so we know this also too well, that brokenness is found in community. Sarah White was one of the speakers at the 
event that we hosted here this summer from the Mennonite Brethren Conference called The Gathering. And she said this as she spoke about community. She says, community requires the gospel and the gospel requires community. And the reason that community requires the gospel is because all community is broken. And it needs to be redeemed. It needs to be transformed. And most people have experienced more brokenness than health when it comes to community. Because we're all broken and fallen people. Last week, Trevor talked about the community that Jesus created and led with His disciples. But what strikes me is that even His community was broken. And whenever I I teach on the the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and I'd encourage you to turn there, I want to look at a couple of verses to start with. I typically start at verse 16 and 17, and I'm glad that those are included there. And in most translations, if it has the, the title, The Great Commission, before this section, it starts with, or that title is right before verse 16. And for some reason, I'm always encouraged when I read verse 16 and 17 before the Great Commission. And it says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some of them doubted. And that reminds me that even Jesus, who was not a broken leader, who was not a broken person, even He lost one. It says, now the eleven gathered. Judas was no longer with them. And then it says how they gathered together these other disciples and they worshipped Him, but even some of them doubted. And so here's Jesus, the greatest of all leaders, the Son of God, God Himself in flesh, leading this group of people, and even He had broken community. If you look at one of the source texts that gives some background to this, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 13. And we see in this text Jesus creating community amongst His disciples and how the brokenness is evident even right there in what He shares. And in this story that's being told. Jesus models this extravagant servant leadership. And yet here in this very same chapter is Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial. And in this short chapter, it is filled with so much. And so let's just read, first of all, verses 1-5. to As Jesus creates community among, among His disciples. It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and return to His Father. He had loved His disciples during His ministry on earth, and now He loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given Him authority over everything, and that He had come from God and would return to God. So He got up from the table, He took off His robe, He wrapped a towel around His waist, and He poured water into a basin. And then He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that He had around Him. Remarkable how Jesus models this extravagant love with a towel and a basin and how He kind of foreshadows what is to come, the ultimate sacrifice on the cross that was yet to come. And He serves in this way with His disciples of extravagant love. And then a little bit further on in verse 34 and 35, He points to this extravagant love and He says, now you too need to follow in this new command. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Jesus creates community with this extravagant love. Eventually going to the cross for these disciples and for each 
one of us. And then he invites them to follow me, he says. He says to do the same, to love in this same way. In verse 11 of that chapter, sorry, verse 12 of that chapter, he says, says this, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And yet even in this teaching, even in this modeling, he experiences the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. In verse 21, it says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he explained, exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And he experiences this internal conflict, this troubling that he has in his spirit as he knows that Judas is about to betray him and already has. And they all wonder who it was, and yeah, it was Judas, and Jesus sends them off to do what, was gonna, what he was going to do. And then Peter speaks up, and he makes some rash promises to Jesus, which often isn't good when Peter opens his mouth. And he says a number of things, and then it says this in verse 38 at the end of this chapter. As Peter says, oh, I'll follow you. I'll go where I'm, I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus says, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. So here we see doubt, denial, betrayal. We see fighting for who's greatest in the kingdom amongst the disciples. That Jesus led a group of people, a community, that it too is broken. We know that. We experience it. We feel it. We feel it when our faith community disappoints us. We feel it when people that we love and trust and respect hurt us. We feel it when people walk away from commitments that they made. We know this story only too well. Earlier this week, I was in a number of conversations about this very topic, and we were discussing about what it is that undermines community, what is it that builds community, and one of the things that, or a couple of things that came forward of undermining community is comparison and expectations. Comparison, when we compare with others and we can't cheer others on, we can't kind of celebrate when they're doing well in whatever way and how that erodes a community. I've heard John Gormley say on the radio as he talks about this that when people succeed or get ahead in some way, what do we say? Do we say, good for you or must be nice? And when we say good for you, you're celebrating with that person. You're saying, way to go, good for you, and you just want to bless them and encourage them in that. When you say, well, must be nice, it's that comparison and that resentment and that, well, I wish that would happen to me. And it's not exactly putting other people ahead. So can we celebrate other success or do we try to pull them down? I was talking also to a young adult who talked about the challenges of, of singleness in community, especially where marriage is held up as a really high ideal like often in the church. Even though Paul clearly puts singleness as actually the ideal, not marriage, but oftentimes... For those in singleness, it's a real struggle to find their way in community where marriage is held so high. Sometimes we intentionally or unintentionally imply that, well, you know, a single person, there's something wrong with them until they actually have a partner. And so 
For those who are single or single again, it's really challenging to be in those kinds of communities. And it hurts. It robs us of true community. But sometimes even when singles put that same expectations on themselves where a young woman you know, can't interact in a group with a young man without evaluating and kind of thinking and wondering, okay, I wonder if this is the guy. And as soon as you do that, you also undermine community because now you're putting expectations on things and it, and it keeps us, these things that keep us or erode community in one way or another with their expectations. And they happen in all kinds of different ways. In our relationships with each other, in our friendships, in our marriages, in whatever kind of context. I heard a wise person once say, have low expectation and high appreciation. Low expectation, high appreciation. Builds community. So it doesn't matter what kind of community you've been or are a part of, you already know it's a broken community. Those of us who lead in community are broken leaders. Those who are members of community are broken people. Whether it's your family, a small group, your sports team, a staff team, a women's Bible study group, a short-term or long-term missions team, I guarantee that there is brokenness, that there will be times of pain, of doubt, of betrayal, of hurt, of comparison, of unrealistic expectations, of different kinds of things that will rear their head. So we shouldn't be surprised by it. But here's the really good news. And that is that God redeems and He uses broken community. Let's go back to that Matthew 28 text for just a minute. And if you go back to that text of the Great Commission, and let's just keep reading that text where we left off a few minutes ago. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some of them doubted. And Jesus came and He told His disciples this broken community. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I, given, I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here was a group of young men, of fishermen, of tax collectors, mostly uneducated, broken people, with all kinds of doubts and internal, con- and internal conflicts. They had to find a way to work together after Jesus left as He was preparing them to return to the Father. And they did. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they literally changed the world. The rest of the New Testament, as you read the account of the early church and you read the Acts of the Apostles, you, you start to see how God transformed this broken community and redeemed this broken community and used this broken community to bring the message of God to the nations of the earth And it changed the course of history. God is continuing to use broken communities. So the encouragement is, is that broken community that you're a part of, God is continuing to redeem it, to work through it, and to use it for His glory. I find great encouragement in that. As you know, we've had a long-term partnership in Panama as a church. And we've been connected for the last 13 or so years. We've had over 100 people from our congregations on the ground in Panama in one way or another, in one place setting in Panama or another. 
some of you, many of you here in this room have been some of those who have been there. And a focused partnership like this has helped us learn so much about discipleship. It's changed us. It's helped us to understand what it means to be a disciple and also to be discipling others. We do it in community and we do it together. Uh, in a week and a half, on October 4th to 11th, there's a small group of six of us who will be going to Panama to meet with our missionary team there and also with the Waunan church leaders. And you can read more about it on our church app that Brad mentioned where there's a link to that and a newsletter that gives you more of the background and information. But Marianne has been leading our small team through some orientation sessions and just on Friday as we met together as a team, she asked us to respond to one of the questions that's in the sermon study guide this week for today's message. And the question was this, what's the most significant experience of community that you have had in your life? And what were some of the components of that? And we sat around and the six of us, we each shared our stories about some of the community experiences that have changed us. And very quickly we saw at least two things that surfaced for every one of us in our stories that were common to each of us of what built community and and caused us to experience profound community. Those were a common demanding task and vulnerability. That we were in communities, and we were in communities that had had a a mission together, that had something to do together, because oftentimes we think that if we just focus on only caring for one another and focusing inward in community, it will actually create community. But we've found that, that community is actually created as a byproduct, as we have a common demanding task together. That was our experience with the our small group on the West Coast Trail. That was the experience as we, I served in that, that team that was serving at that youth camp that summer. That is our, hopefully our experience with this small team as we think about how we go down and serve and be served in Panama in the weeks ahead. But that we would have a common demanding task and that we learn to be vulnerable with one another and to share the reality of our stories, the reality of our hurts, our disappointments, our, our, our brokenness in one way or another. Because when we allow for that, God begins to transform and to use our communities in significant ways. Again, last week, Trevor Goddard, he said this quote that really stuck with me. He, he said this, I'm not okay, you're not okay, and that's okay. That's the reality of a broken community. Understanding one another. Loving one another. And walking together with one another. So we need to move beyond these obstacles to true community, this community that we long for, and do what we can to create healthy community in our stumbling ways that God calls us to this path of discipleship, that we can move from comparison to blessing, that we can move from from expectations to appreciation, that we can move from false fronts of not showing people what's going on inside to actual vulnerability, that we can move from our own selfish ambitions to a common demanding task of God's mission. That's our goal as we disciple one another and as we follow Jesus into community. I'd invite the worship team if they would come at this time. So in closing, I want to pray around these thoughts that we all long for community, that all community is broken, and this truth that God redeems and uses broken community. So Lord Jesus, I thank You that you have modeled this for us so powerfully. Thank you, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that inherent in your character and your nature is this profound community that you have hardwired it within us. God, I pray that you would 
give us patience as we see and experience the broken community that we're a part of. As we see and experience our own contributions to that, uh, the experience of, of the contributions of others, Lord, would you give us grace for one another and help us to love each other extravagantly. Oh Lord, forgive us for those places where we have failed so deeply. And God, I pray that you would help us to see the ways that you're redeeming, the ways that you're using our broken communities for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, help us to never give up. Help us to never give up on the church. Help us to never give up on each other because of this truth. Thank you for these pictures, these windows into your truth in Scripture that remind us of these things. And God, may we be your disciples in this way as we desire to create and experience community like we've never experienced before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.